Well, we are all going through a massive upheaval right now. I hear there's this coronavirus out there and we're trying to slow the spread and reduce the infection rate. And the way we're doing that is reducing the number of people we see face to face. But life involves face to face contact and so this is hard. Life involves handshakes and hugs, laughing together, eating together, catching up with friends and family, going to parties and celebrations, working alongside others, sitting in meetings, and seeing each other at church, sharing coffee, cake. So the upheaval we're facing is not the virus itself. It's the change. It's all the, no the normal human activities and interactions that we can't do anymore. And change is hard at the best of times. What's changed for you in the last week or two? Are you spending much more time at home now? Maybe classes are all on the internet, or you're a mum or dad who's taken off time, taken time off to look after your kids or older family members. Maybe you're able to work from home. You can't do everything, but you can do some things. Have you lost your job? Or does it look like you might lose your job? Some types of work just can't be done from home. Maybe you've been looking at the Centrelink website or like hundreds of thousands of other Aussies you've been trying to, but you can't, to see if maybe the government might be able to offer some assistance. Are you starting to feel frustrated or even maybe angry? All of these changes are too much. Or maybe they're too little, too slow. Let's just shut everything down and try to ride this thing out as quickly as possible. Or maybe you're angry about people ignoring the regulations. Are you starting to feel disconnected? Lonely, maybe. Sometimes we love being alone, but not all the time. Whether or not you're infected by COVID-19, we're all affected by it. And what we need to hear at a time like this is that some things change and some things stay the same. Not everything is changing. And it's some of those things that don't change that we really need when everything else is changing. What are the things that don't change? Well, let me start by taking you to Psalm 90. God himself is always there. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The church of Christ is here to stay also. Here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, the Jews, and also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. None of those plans have changed. Nor has the mission of the church changed. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. No change there. Surely I am with you always says Jesus. 
And in today's passage from Acts, some things have changed and some things stay the same. The early church has faced lots of hurdles already. They've had persecution, imprisonment, even corruption amongst their members. All this upheaval. But verse 1 tells us that the number of disciples was still increasing. And after they've tackled the crisis we're looking at today, it says again, verse 7, that the number of disciples increased rapidly. So at a time of some things changing and some things staying the same, I think today's passage brings us four lessons. Four lessons for a church on mission. And that's what we're going to look at now. Lesson one, sometimes we neglect each other's needs. We wind our minds back to first century Jerusalem. The church is a brand new movement that is also a community. Thousands of people now embracing each other because they've been embraced by God. At the end of chapter 4, we heard that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. Now, that's an incredible thing to be able to say, but it looks like that might be under threat. Now, it seems there are some needy people amongst them. It's the Hellenistic widows who are being overlooked in favour of the Hebraic widows in the distribution of food. Now, I don't know if you know the difference between a Hellenistic widow and a Hebraic widow. Jerusalem was a city full of Jews. Some of them had grown up in Israel. They were the Hebraics. Others had moved to other lands or their ancestors had, and yet they still had a connection back to Jerusalem because of their Jewish race. Greek culture and language had really come to dominate the surrounding nations. So if you weren't growing up submerged in Hebraic culture, you were probably growing up in Hellenistic culture, Greek culture. And there was this mix in Jerusalem. Jews and non-Jerusalem Jews and non-Jerusalem Jews. And this was also happening in the church. The point is that sometimes culture gets in the way of Christianity. You can't pull yourself out of culture, but as followers of Christ, our cultural differences, they've got to move to the background, not the foreground. Brothers and sisters who are Iranian are brothers and sisters. Christian foreigners are closer to us than non-Christian Australians. But for some reason, cultural difference is causing neglect in the early church. Perhaps it's because the apostles themselves were mostly Hebraic Jews. Perhaps it's just that they're frantically busy doing everything else and no one was attending to the inequity that's going on in the distribution of food until the great complaint that happens in this passage. And we'll look at the solution in a moment. But we should pause to ask if we are at risk of neglecting each other. And you know what? With this corona life we're facing, I think there's a big risk of us neglecting each other. We're not even going to see each other or connect with each other physically unless we really make an effort. And that's usually going to be online, not actually in person. We can't just turn up on Sundays anymore and say, how are you going? We can't follow up so easily when, you know, when things aren't going great for another person. And there are lots of ways in which we are all going to be experiencing need. Maybe it's not the dis daily distribution of food, although it, it may come to that. 
But maybe it's our financial situation, our mental health, our physical health because we're not getting out or we get sick with the virus and you know can't go anywhere, not even to the shops. Or maybe even our personal safety if we're locked up in households with ever-increasing relational pressure. What are the ways in which we might neglect each other? Don't be surprised if it happens. Lesson two, serving is for all of us. The 12, the disciples, they gather everyone together and there's an implication that they need to fix the problem. They're the ones in charge, but they say, no, that wouldn't be right. For the apostles to fix this problem, to go out and see how much food there is, who's giving and how much they're giving, to get involved in the purchasing and the allocations, work out who needs what, what changes need to be made. This is a complex and important task and it needs a dedicated team. For the 12, the apostles, to fix it would not be right, they say, because it would mean neglecting the ministry of the word of God in order to solve the catering problem. It's not saying that catering and caring for people's needs in practical ways isn't important. It's not saying that at all. What it's saying is that there is a second kind of neglect on the table. The ministry of the word of God can be neglected, but it mustn't be. The word of God is what is saving people. It's what is growing the church in numbers. It's what is emboldening the church in witness and maturing the church in God's grace. The word of God for the church is like, it's like the goose that is laying the golden eggs. You remember the old fable? A desperately poor farmer finds a goose while he's hunting and the goose says, stop, don't kill me. If you let me live, I'll give you what you need. The farmer agrees and takes the goose home. Next morning, the goose has laid a golden egg. This happens the day after also. But instead of patiently waiting for the following day's egg, the farmer decides to kill the goose anyway and collect all the golden eggs inside it. He will be rich instantly. He kills the goose that was laying the golden eggs and lo and behold, inside it was no gold. So by his determination to squeeze all the benefit out of the goose, he ends up losing the good that he was already receiving. Some people in churches insist that only their minister can pastor them. Sure, I can have friends in the church and we can help each other out. But when I or others are facing trouble, it needs to be the pastor that goes to visit. Now, I don't completely disagree with that. Last year, I was asked to sit with a member of my congregation in an intensive care room to be with him and pray with him while his wife passed away. I will never forget that day. It was emotionally draining and it meant I had to drop other things. But what an honor to be asked into that space, to be able to read verses of scripture, to pray together over and over and to weep together. That is an extraordinary privilege. It's the kind of privilege that binds people together in our Christian hope. But saying farewell to your life partner is not a day-to-day -day pastoral need. The normal pattern for the church is that serving is for all of us. 
Each of us is called to serve one another, sometimes in trivial ways and sometimes in very significant ways. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 tells us, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That verse is written to a church, not to a pastor. All of us are to do good to all people, but especially to each other. Now, different people can serve in different ways. You can serve in practical ways with really no qualifications or prerequisites. All of us should do this. Just chip in. The church relies on it. Maybe it's providing meals. Maybe it's going to appointments with someone who needs a companion. Maybe it's doing odd jobs. Maybe it's offering your connections for somebody who needs connections. Maybe it's just having a conversation with someone. Maybe it's getting on a roster. But you can also serve specifically through the word, through the message about Jesus. And we set word ministers apart because we don't want word ministry to be neglected. And so we train them, we teach them, we discern suitability, we supervise them, especially early on. And then in some cases, we pay them. The modern day word minister is not an apostle like the 12, but we're set apart for this by the church in a similar way. Now, in Acts 6, they pull together this little group of seven. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas. They're all Hellenistic names, incidentally, so they can help overcome the cultural barriers. But they're also a group of leaders given significant administrative responsibility. And so they need to be, verse 3, full of the spirit and wisdom. All of us can serve by just chipping in, but for different times and seasons, some of us might be called on to lead. Even practical leadership, administrative leadership, it's still church leadership, and so we make our appointments carefully. When there is good leadership in administration and practical areas, it allows the word ministers, verse 4, to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I'm actually feeling this at the moment. There's a lot of administration involved in moving a church into an online mode. And it's meant that I've had to learn a whole lot of new things and do a whole lot of stuff that I haven't previously done. And I've been called on to provide leadership to this church at this time. But during this time of adjustment, we need to make sure that I don't neglect the ministry of the Word of God because I'm you know, so busy with the technical side of things and uploading videos and so on. We're talking about every member ministry and we've got to work out ways to do that. Leaders raised up to ensure we neither neglect each other nor neglect the ministry of the Word of God. Now, in case you think this distribution of labour means that only ministers need to speak about Jesus to others, lesson three, and these last two lessons will be quicker, Lesson three, you don't have to be a minister or an apostle to proclaim the word. So the seven 
have been appointed. And now one of them seems to be able not only to fulfill his administrative leadership, but also he's an evangelist. Now, Stephen, verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, notice they're the Hellenistics, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Now, this is actually a more momentous event in Acts than you might think. Thus far, the apostles have been the ones reported by Luke to be witnessing to Christ. After all, they were the ones authorized by Christ to be his witnesses back in chapter 1, verse 8. You can have a look at it sometime. Stephen is a leader, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, verse 5, but he's not an apostle. And now he's fully involved in defending the gospel. And the Spirit has given him enormous power, both in the signs and wonders and in his speaking. God has given him what he needs to say. And all he has to do is be willing and participate to step up. As we read earlier from Ephesians, the church is built upon the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as our cornerstone. Our ministry as a church is to pick up where the apostles left off, just as Stephen was doing. In many ways, he's our model, the model of a non-apostle proclaiming and defending the word of God when given the opportunity. And so what are the opportunities for us in this coronavirus season? Well, it may depend on how things go, but there are ways that we can be showing practical love to our neighbours, surely. So many people are stuck at home in ways that they usually aren't. There are apps for connecting with neighbours, offering to help, staying in touch. And who knows, if we develop those relationships now during the crisis, we may have many more opportunities when we can catch up face to face in due course. But maybe we should also be thinking creatively about specific word ministry opportunities. I'm thinking through how to do Life Explored online. We still need to finish the existing course, but maybe we can also start a new one. Maybe as we're producing videos, there's more opportunity for us to produce word-based content, not just for adults, maybe for kids too. Let's be praying that God leads us to share the gospel where he wants it shared. That's lesson three. And so finally, lesson four, proclaiming the word can get you in trouble. Now, for this, for this one, I'd like to pause for a moment and introduce you to Ilya. In this little video, he's being interviewed by his pastor, Colin Taylor, at Trinity Church, Woodcroft. Listen carefully to Ilya's story. He becomes a Christian in Iran. He, share, he starts sharing his faith and he faces significant opposition. And so he has to flee. But the Lord opens up all sorts of new opportunities for him to share his faith. Have a look. Ilya, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Tell us where you're from and yeah. about your family. Yeah, I'm from Iran. So, yeah, my family uh, back in Iran. Mm -hmm. my, my mom and my uh, two brothers. My, my dad passed away two years ago. 
but I have a one sister here and my little nephew as well. Yeah, I have a wife. Um, my wife is a Chinese. We meet uh, in Trin Holy Trinity Church in the city. Yeah. So we are now four years we are married and we have a small little kid on the way as well. Okay. How did you come to be in Australia? Yeah, I come Australia in 2012 with a boat. By boat? Yeah, by So when boat. we read in the news about boat people, yeah. you were one of them? Yeah, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we come from Indonesia to the uh, Christmas island. In the Darwin Christmas island, around the nine months I was uh, in detention centre. So you came from Iran. Why did you have to leave Iran? Because in 2008 I converted to Christianity. Even Muslim people convert to Christianity, very dangerous to living in the Muslim country, especially Muslim leaders, you know. They, if, they find, if they find you as Muslim, you convert to Christianity or doing the evangelism, especially. Mm -hmm. So uh, they find you, put you in the jail or very likely kill you. Because in the Quran said, if someone from Islam convert to different religion, have to die. And how do you even go to church in a context like that? Yeah, we have a building church there, over there, but uh, they speak Armenian. They are from Armenia, Armenian church. Armenian church. Mm -hmm. So I joined with them. Also, we joined in the home group in Iran, lots of home group. Uh, we have it, but they are secret and because they know each other from long time. They knew new people very hard to join with them. Maybe dangerous for whole group because of that cannot invite the new people to the home group. But then what happened to make you need to suddenly leave? Yeah, when when I convert to Christianity, so I went to church, I went to home group, I I donated some uh, evangelism evangelists. I give a gospel to many people and my friend lots of our friends my friend convert to christianity then uh, i give a someone gospel and talk about the bible because you know in iran if you have a bible you have to go six months in the jail just for bible so i give someone bible and I speak about the jesus so they family report me so yes Ilya give a bible to my uh, son and talk about the uh, Christianity around the three weeks uh, uh, three weeks to you know I've done everything I went to the different city wow. to buy a ticket everything and I live from there wow. uh, here in Adelaide now yeah. and you're still involved with uh, Persian church yeah. and other Iranians so. when I'm uh, when I arrived to the Christmas island I uh, still uh, give a gospel to Iranian people and we there even there we find that some people we every night we meet each other many people give a heart to the Jesus after nine months I went Darwin and then when I after nine months when I come out of the detention center I still call with them speak with them encourage them then some of them come to Adelaide uh, so we started meeting uh, at the home mm -hmm. sometimes and then we had the Bible study and numbers grew. Uh, we, our friends, some uh, back Muslim background, we meet them, we give a gospel to them, going around. So, and our number become grow. So now from home group, we moved to the church now in the, now is going to the three years. We're um, meeting sort of online yeah. for the first time today. You're, you're also use online things for church as well? Yeah. Actually, I have a ministry through of the social media, Skype, uh, Skype uh, 
uh, Facebook, another app is um, Telegram, Iranian people using. I have a channel there around the 400 people uh, uh, listening to the, my preaching or what I share there. Now, uh, every Thursday, we're meeting online through the Skype. Many of them join with me uh, from Iran. Wow. Many of them, they, they are still Muslim. Many of them was Muslim and now they love the Lord. And many of them live in Turkey as a refugee. Many of them live in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, or Europe even, or US. So we uh, encourage each other. We're listening to the uh, Bible. Um, how would you encourage us as we um, can't gather together as we normally do, what we're doing this new thing? Yeah. Uh, what I experience, Christianity in the suffering is growing. As Iran now is growing, many of people, you know, because the suffering comes. Coronavirus is one of the suffering as well. Uh, no one can stop the God word. We can meet online. We can grow online. We can uh, encourage each other in during this time. Uh, when this have a, this coronavirus. So we can encourage each other. We can still meet with each other. Church is everywhere. So, yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks for speaking to us, Ilya. Thank you so much for all coming best, here. And yeah. All the best with the baby. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, what a great encouragement that God can actually use our suffering to grow his church and to grow faith in his son. Stephen faced opposition. Not simply the group arguing with him, but also eventually the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Council of Elders. And they lie about him and about what he said. They actually accuse him of many of the things that, of which they'd accused Jesus previously. But God is with him. His face shines like that of an angel right there in the trial. And we'll look at his trial and what happens as a result of that next week. It's not the Hollywood ending. What about you? Are you prepared to take a risk like Stephen, like Ilya? Speak of Jesus. Tell what God has done for you and call on people to turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. Well, to finish, we've had four lessons for a church on mission. Number one, sometimes we neglect each other's needs. Number two, serving is for all of us. Number three, you don't have to be a minister or an apostle to proclaim the word. Number four, proclaiming the word can get you in trouble. Now, of course, this is not all there is to say about managing the change and upheaval to our lives in this season. But the church doesn't shut down when things get complicated. The Lord reminds us today that there are two things not to neglect during this time. We must not neglect each other's needs and we must not neglect the ministry of the Word of God. What role will you play in this? Are you a Word minister in the church? Maybe you're a Bible study group leader or a kids ministry leader. Are you in the administrative leadership of the church? Maybe you're on the leadership team or you're an area leader. Are there people around you who need practical help? How can you chip in? Whoever we are, let this be a time for refocusing. Let's keep sharing, sharing our lives and sharing our message.
Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your gospel never changes, that you never change. And we, we take note that your mission never changes. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us what we need for this season. Help us not to neglect the needs of those around us in the church. Help us to be thinking creatively and to be getting on the phone and, and connecting and finding out what people's needs are. Help us to be as Christ to them. But help us also not to neglect the ministry of the Word of God, particularly not our Word ministers in our context, in our church, but also just all of us as we have opportunity. Please uh, show us how we can share Christ, how we can speak personally, um, perhaps online, perhaps over the phone, perhaps in different ways. Father, we need your help in this season to guide us and to show us what you want us to do and how you want us to act. And so we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.